Today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. Looking to create better team culture, more dedicated alumni, and reward your student-athletes with something they'll never forget? Visit LegendRings.com and stay tuned later in the show for a special offer that'll make this unforgettable team award more affordable than ever. And now, it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, failed R&B singer and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Hey coach, it's Dan. Hope you are having a great day. Hope this episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast finds you doing well uh, and, and achieving great things and building towards success. That's what today is all about. This episode is going to feature a conversation with an author, speaker, consultant who is a former college coach, which is why I think his advice and direction and thoughts are so relevant to our community here as college coaches. His name is John Brubaker. He has spoken multiple times at our National Collegiate Recruiting Conference. He is the author of several books, and we're going to talk about one of them today called Beyond Stadium Status. Coach, if you're looking for a book as you get into this time of the year, you're looking to build, change things up for the next recruiting class, the upcoming uh, new school year, this is a great book to to look at and and take lessons from, and I really recommend it. And I wanted the reason I wanted to talk to John about it today was because of that. It really it really focuses on what people in different segments of their professional lives, not just coaches, but all over uh, American industries and worldwide uh, endeavors, what they have done to become successful and take their name, their business to Beyond Stadium Status. That is the title of John Brubaker's latest book, Beyond Stadium Status. It has, like I said, great relevance for college coaches. And we want to talk about it today because I think you're going to get a lot of nuggets that you can use to build not only your program, but your individual coaching career. And we started this conversation with Coach Brubaker by asking the simple question, really, to define exactly what is Beyond Stadium Status. It is, uh, well, stadium status is a mindset and it is uh, beyond stadium status is an extension of that mindset where, uh, you know, like we have to do things better, faster and with less resources and we need to be able to go above and beyond. So if somebody, if, if a coach listening had not read stadium status, can you basically describe the, the the main idea behind it and what are sure. some of the principles that really you emphasized that um, a lot of coaches did read and did like, but in case there was a coach that out there out there that didn't get a chance to read it? No, um, I'd be I mean, being the global icon, or that's what you call me at least. I'm way more humble than that. I'd be shocked if there are any coaches listening to this that didn't read stadium status based on I'm just what you my keep bases. telling me, but I'm okay. Just covering my bases. So, so stadium status is what we all want. You know, I think the, uh, the term was coined by Rihanna, but then um, I think Kanye stole it and tried to take credit for it as his own stadium status. Like it's the ability to have a big enough fan base, a big enough audience to sell out a stadium. You are quote stadium status. And that's what we all want. You know, uh, if you work in business, you want a stadium full of customers. If you're a coach listening to this right now, you want your recruiting pipeline to be big enough to fill a stadium probably with quality prospects. And uh, if you're an entrepreneur of any kind, you want to be able to 
fill a stadium with your audience as well. So I think it's what we all aspire to, but it's borrowing terminology from the entertainment industry and applying it to each of our worlds. And that's really what I do. Like I'm an extractor of ideas. I take uh, ideas from outside my industry, outside of athletics, and I apply it into athletics. I think that's where you get your best ideas. Always. So for this follow-up book, and we're going to link to both books, where to buy them on the show notes in the podcast in case the coach is listening and wants to, yep. didn't read the first book, you can get that one as well as the second book. Beyondstadiumstatus.com. Or you can go to the website, beyondstadiumstatus.com. Or stadiumstatusbook.com. Not available on Amazon. We're not making Jeff Bezos any richer than he already is, Dan. We will link to both of those links. Uh, yes. So. If, it, if you're a coach, uh, you really should read uh, the first one before the second one because the second one is the follow-up. What are you talking about in that book that didn't get covered in the first book for coaches and for anybody who's reading this, business, athletics? Uh, what what, is, what are the, the main points? What are the things that you, um, that you go into that, that didn't get covered in book one? Uh, there is a section early in the book that discusses navigating the new normal. And I think we can all agree, regardless of what industry we're in, when the pandemic, am I even allowed to say that word? Or is Apple going to deplatform me? When the pandemic hit, like everyone's world changed. You started doing virtual visits. You started spending more time on Zoom than, you know, doing home visits. Like recruiting got very different. Recruiting in business, everything got very different. So there's a significant section in the beginning about navigating the new normal and really, you know, a lot of times uh, adversity is really opportunity in disguise. There's some businesses that are going to come out of this thing ahead. They're going to come out ahead during this thing, Dan. And do you, have, do you have time for a quick little story? Absolutely, yeah. So it was almost a year ago. Uh, actually, when this airs, it will be almost exactly a year uh, from, you know, to the date. Uh, I teach a, a class in the evening on Wednesday nights at my local community college. And afterwards, like, I don't have time to get dinner beforehand. So I stop at my local uh, favorite restaurant uh, on my way home. I have a little dinner. I watch whatever college basketball games on TV. And um, I'm sitting in an essentially uh, quiet, fairly empty bar. And the waitress, the waitress comes over and brings me a drink. I hadn't ordered anything yet. And she said, here you go. Um, and I go to reach for some money and she's like, you don't need to pay. And I'm like, I'm in here every Wednesday for the last 10 years, practically. You've never given me a freebie. Like I've never gotten a drink on the house. And she's like, Oh, don't worry. It didn't start tonight either. John, that guy over there in the corner, he and his wife are paying for your drink. They're buying the house around the drinks. And like, that sounds great, but by buying the house, there were like five of us there. It's like, if you're ever going to buy the house around the drinks, <laughs> do it either at the end of the night when no one's there, or just like on a, on a dead evening, you know, or during a pandemic. Yeah. So, uh, and this is before anything shut down. It's before like we really even knew exactly what, what COVID was. Can I even say that COVID? Um, so I go over to him and I said, Hey, thanks. Uh, what's the occasion? What are we celebrating? Cheers. You know? And he said, Oh, um, this is the single biggest sales day in the history of my company. 
I'm like, that's great. You know, what line of work in? What do you do? And he said, uh, I own an industrial cleaning service. And it was like one of those franchises. He owned the rights to the the Maine. I live up here in Maine. I was like Surf Pro or something. Uh, he said, I just signed a contract, an exclusive contract to be uh, uh, to do all the industrial cleaning of all the SUNY system campuses in New York State, which is like just the four-year schools. That's like 37 campuses, yeah. Dan. And I'm like, for what? He said, well, you know, with the coronavirus and the pandemic. Um, so it's like every athletic facility, library, classroom, dorm, everything. Schools had just really started telling kids, you can go home if you want to. And it was at that moment, like I knew, okay, so this is real. And there are actually going to be some people who thrive during this time if they're positioned correctly. And I looked at his wife and I said, congratulations. She's like, well, I'm celebrating something different. I said, what's that? She's like, I got laid off today. Hmm. It's a school teacher. And the local, I guess, local, like, private elementary school went remote. So she's a teacher's aide. They didn't need a teacher's aide in a classroom anymore. So he's like, and, and the husband said, yep, today's or tomorrow's really her first day of work working for me. So he has, you know, his business is booming. He has all this business. Now he needs to hire help. So his wife is now like his uh, scheduling person. Right, right. And I'm looking at that as like, you know, that's kind of the uh, canary in the coal mine, if you will, to borrow the analogy, or is it a metaphor? Which one <laughs> um, is it, Dan? It would be a metaphor, I believe. Okay. I always get those two confused. But uh, there are people who either through the industry they're in, timing, or simply being creative and resourceful are going to do really well. And I think that you're seeing that play out in athletics right now too. Who's getting really creative? Who's embracing technology? Who's finding a way to make virtual tours interesting, fun, funny, engaging, memorable to create like, you know, these unique touch points that never existed before or um, simply uh, found a way to kind of create a moment that just couldn't happen in person. So, you know, I think that it's been... um, it hasn't necessarily uh, created problems. It's really revealed existing problems and just sort of sped them up and amplified them. So I just talk about navigating that early in the book and then really kind of, uh, you know, while we're, what's the word, uh, while we are uh, socially distanced and overly reliant on technology, why you, maybe we dive into this next why, you know, analog is actually a really good thing right now and could really help you. So. Well, and and by analog, I'm assuming you mean going back to some of the basics of just human interaction, which is you're at a restaurant and you buy somebody drinks or dinner or whatever uh, in celebration, or it's, you know, making a phone call instead of just sending out mass emails. It's uh, the personal touch. Um, I mean, everything sort of comes back into fashion, comes full circle, and it seems like we're there. A lot of coaches now are asking me, and we're doing training on how to be effective on the phone, how to you know interact and read people personally, and so we're with a handwritten note, right? right? Yeah, yeah, right. And and so uh, obviously in the business world, that's you know they have the same goal as an as a coach, yeah. which is to increase the business, make the sale. Coaches need to 
make that sale in, in effect with the uh, with the athlete. So again, in going to beyond stadium status uh, and and going back to some of these these core principles, what are some of the examples you share or success stories that that they're going to okay. read about or find out about in in the book? Well, uh, before we jump into that, I'm going to hijack your interview, Dan. You had mentioned you know things are coming back into fashion. I just want to highlight and showcase you for a moment and point something out. You've never gone out of fashion. So for those who are new to the pod and don't know this about you, um, what do you wear on your feet typically every day? Uh, Typically every day, if it's a tennis shoe, I am wearing it. Now you you know where I'm going with this. White K-Swiss tennis shoe. You've been doing that how long? Since 1984. That's 30, how many years? Uh, that is uh, more than 30. It's about 37 yeah. years. Well, I was like calculating in my yeah. head, 30-ish something. Yeah. You're yeah. an author, not a mathematician. Exactly. I'm not very good at, uh, right. no, I'm not good with numbers. But you've never gone out of style. And now there's this great, resurgence of case with sneakers. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And you've always been there. So I just wanted to point that out. I feel the need to give you your props um, when when appropriate. I appreciate that, Coach. So, you know, what I'm really talking about in terms of analog, Dan, is um, the idea of redundancy. The idea of redundancy and the idea of redundancy. See what I did there? You did. You were redundant. So, um, so for a coach that's listening to this, what, what would that mean for them? Well, you know, um, there's an old Navy SEAL expression, one is none, two is one. And that's really what I'm talking about. And, and what that specifically means is, okay, let's say you're a Navy SEAL, you're on SEAL Team 6, you just jumped out of uh, a Black Hawk in the Pacific Ocean. And you uh, parachute out into the ocean, your gun gets wet. It's in your dry bag. Something happened though. It got wet. It's rendered useless. To have one gun is now equivalent to having none. You can't use it. If you have a backup, you have a second one and that stays, you know, stays dry. Now you have one gun that you can use. Two is in essence one. And to be able to take that strategy and apply it to something as simple as your recruiting list, uh, I think we're all, I think it's something that you, it would be irresponsible of you not to do this after listening to this story. Um, I had a, a client, it's a university that I speak to rather, or speak at rather frequently, back when you could travel places mm-hmm. and meet with people in person and actually talk to audiences. And it was about a year ago, uh, this coach, we'll call him Pat uh, because that's his name. Uh, he <laughs> called me up and he said, hey, John, you're really well networked. Um, do you have a contact at, I'm not going to give a free shout out. I'll just say it rhymes with uh, Brunt Brush. Do you have a contact at Brunt Brush? I'm locked out of my account. I can't access the app. I can't get on my laptop. Um, like, yeah, actually I do. Let me make a phone call for, call the person who I thought I knew at 
that company that doesn't get a free shout out on your podcast and he's no longer employed there. So my friend was locked out of his account two days before national signing day, did not have his files backed up anywhere, did not have them printed out, did not have them on Excel spreadsheet, didn't have them in the cloud, didn't have them on a thumb drive, nowhere. And that's a problem. So he has no way to get in contact with these people who like, that's the lifeblood of your program. Wow. And like, Everyone listening to this knows the ramifications of that. Yeah, of not error. being able to access your recruiting software. Yes. Um, so I use that as a cautionary tale that one is none, two is one. And you know, I think that you need to have a plan, have a backup. Like you wouldn't go into a game with just one game plan, you're going to have a backup plan. If the other team does X, we're going to do Y. We're not going to keep doing the same thing and just hope it works when it's not been working. So where do you keep your files? We'll be back to the show in just a minute. But first, a quick question. What makes a college coach a more intelligent recruiter? Well, it starts with using technology that actually gives you insights and trends when it comes to the recruits you're communicating with. That's the mission of Advanced Recruiting Intelligence. RE gives college coaches the ability to track, rank, and communicate with recruits like no other app available to coaches. And the best part? It costs 20 to 40% less than what most departments are paying for their older recruiting contact management programs. For a free demo, and to see why so many coaches are saving money and using better technology to boost their recruiting results, visit ARIRecruiting.com. And now, back to the show. And there's a great story. There's a, He's the guy credited by Time Magazine credits this guy with being the founding father of uh, internet, like of e-commerce and internet marketing. His name's Ken McCarthy. And he's a... Uh, internet marketer, copywriter, and what Ken does, and I started doing this as soon as I heard this from him, is every Friday at the end of his work week, uh, he will back up his customer list, essentially his recruits, mm -hmm. onto uh, like you know, he'll export it from his CRM, save it in the cloud, but he'll also put it in a thumb drive. And he'll take that thumb drive, and he lives in, in a, uh, a small little kind of main street like almost like Mayberry little community in upstate New York. And he'll walk it to the bank and put it in his safe deposit box. And he'll take it out on Monday morning. And so people might think that's a little over the top. Well, it is until you need it and can't access it in your home. Right. So by having a backup in your home and also having a backup outside of your home, like what if something happened to your home? And your customer list is essentially the lifeblood of your business, just like your recruiting list is the lifeblood of your program. So why wouldn't you treat it like money and right. put it in the bank vault, so to speak, right? Well, and even if literally you don't take it and put it somewhere, I mean, the thing, the application that I'm getting, you're talking about is, you know, you need, um, you know, to sign two kids at one position in an upcoming class and you're recruiting four, well, that may not be enough. It might be, you know, as much as you want at the time, but it may not be enough. Yeah. You may have to recruit eight or 12 to get those two, or you run through those four very quickly. What, what comes behind that? Are you always refilling that list? And I know that's something that I've stressed with coaches is you never, 
everything should always be fluid. There should be people exiting your list and new ones coming onto yeah. the list so that you're always talking to people who are actually going to have a good shot at, at you know, committing to you. And it's, I, I'm applying that to that principle that you just laid out that you talk about in the book. Yeah, I took it very literally. Like you right. should have a physical backup of whatever yeah. you have up in the cloud, but also, you know, you applied it to having a plan B in, you know, your kind of your recruiting depth chart, your pipeline, so to speak. And, you know, what, what happens? It's right. got to be fluid. You've got to be able to uh, quickly pivot. So, so part of going beyond stadium status sort of to that next level is having the redundancies. What, what yep. is something else you focus on or talk about in the, co in the book that coaches who read it are going to get from it and, and you know, be able to help them in their program from it? Um, so two things that really stand out is, you know, they're, and this is sort of my philosophy on life, but I think it also applies to recruiting. It certainly is how I handle my business is always be on offense, not on defense, like maintain an offensive mindset. And, you know, the reason for that is you're being proactive versus being reactive. Mm -hmm. And I would say one of the, uh, one of the most important things, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the most important things you teach and preach uh, over and over and over again to coaches is that all of this that you're doing needs to take place on your timeline, not the prospects. You need to give them a deadline. Yeah, that would be a, And that's a being on offense. Offensive, right. And, uh, you're being proactive. Right. And if they're not willing to follow that timeline, you, you move on to the next. And I, I think that I had a tough time when I was coaching, holding people to deadlines like that. You know, if I really wanted somebody, um, I would kind of bend my, my rules and I didn't have firm deadlines like, we're willing to wait because, you know, that person's so good or so special. And looking back, more often than not, when I was willing to do that, we didn't get the kid anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, you know, when you allow yourself to be in a reactive posture or position, um, it, it rarely goes well. You often, so, like, think about it in sports. Like, if you're guarding somebody, he knows or she knows where they're going. You don't. So they're always going to be like a step or half a step ahead of you. And you're constantly trying to, to recover. And this is not a healthy place to be in your recruiting. So that, again, that point that you bring up is, is worth digging into just to, for a second. Um, because you're telling a lot of stories about people. I know in, in all the books that you've, you've uh, written, they're focused on individuals. They're focused on lessons from individuals, comments and, and things like that from individuals. <laughs> Why is it that we as individuals automatically go to the, the sort of our preset is I'm just going to give them more time or I'm not going to press them? Is it just because we're trying to be nice? Is it because we're scared of getting a no? Is it a combination of those things? What, what, what do you think? And again, using yourself as that example of when you were a coach, you would kind of, you know, put the deadline aside if you really wanted a kid, even though it, it didn't end up working very often, if at all. Well, I think a lot of people are people pleasers mm -hmm. and that is probably the root of a lot of 
I wouldn't say the root of all evil. That sounds way too dramatic, but it's probably the root cause of a lot of problems with your recruiting is you're trying to please other people instead of trying to get the right people in your program uh, on your timeline in a system, systematic structured way. So I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, maybe the other part is just, uh, you know, from a psychology standpoint, like, you know, we don't want to be turned down. We don't want right. to, uh, we want to be liked. We want to uh, avoid pain as much as possible. And by avoiding pain, really what I'm saying is that they want to delay the pain of that kid saying no or saying they're right. going somewhere else. So they say, oh, we'll give you more time. And this is, I mean, kind You're of just hurting yourself, right? Right. Coming full circle to the first principle we talked about, which is redundancy. If you don't have a redundancy, you don't have a choice but to let them linger in the decision because I don't have anybody as the backup. I have to get this kid or these these two prospects, and I have to give them more time because I don't have anybody yeah. else. And that's the situation for uh, for coaches a lot as well. And I had an AD who um, this is pre 9-11, he said, he used to say, don't let the passengers have the guns on the plane. Mm. Like, huh? He's like, the pilots got to have the guns. You, you need to, you can't be at the mercy of your audience is essentially what he was saying. And I think he stopped saying that after 9-11. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> but it's, it, it, it's a powerful metaphor or is it an analogy? Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll debate that later, but I'm wondering just in the, some of the things that you've mentioned, uh, in both books, you've and you refer back to when you were a coach, the you know the lessons you can look back on now and and maybe realize you did wrong. Um, what are some of the other things that now, if you, as as an author, as a business consultant, as somebody that does speaking and consulting on a on a on a national level now, what is what are the lessons that you realize you didn't? know before at when you were a college lacrosse coach that you would apply now if you were again a college lacrosse coach um and this is something i could talk about all day there's a couple great stories in the book that just hearken me back to i wish i knew this or i wish the situation would have happened and been a great example for me back then and one is simply like so many coaches and when I say so many coaches, I mean me, I'm looking squarely at myself back when I was coaching, um, are, are so concerned about the resources they have or that they lack, I should say. And, you know, it's funny. Um, a few years ago, I spoke at your national conference for mm -hmm. recruiters in Nashville. And um, I talked about kind of parallels between the country music uh, musicians, you know, audience engagement strategies and college recruiting. Well, this is one of those um, great success stories and tales from a country music artist that I think we're all in this story. There's a guy named Russell Dickerson. This is a couple of years ago. Hey coach, we'll get right back to the podcast here in just a minute, but first a question for you. Have you gone over to look at legendrings.com yet? You should. You may have been hearing us talk about them on previous podcast episodes. Another coach did. In fact, the question that he had for me was, so Dan, what do they really look like? And I said, what do you mean, what do they really look like? He said, well, I saw what they look like on the website, but what do they look like when they actually show up for coaches that order them? And the answer is exactly like 
they do on the website. In fact, Coach, you get to design what the ring looks like. This is the same look that the big-time national champions have, but at a fraction of the price. So whether it's for rewarding your team on a great season, rewarding individuals, whatever the case, legendrings.com is the new coach's choice for beautiful college sports rings. So go there now. In fact, when you do, mention the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast when you talk to the representative, and you'll get a special gift, your own coach's ring, for free. That's legendrings.com. Coach, you got to go check it out. Okay, now back to the podcast. He um, was trying to get a record deal. He was doing a lot of songwriting, wasn't getting any traction. And he released what he thought, he wrote what he thought was going to be a really great song. And he thought so much of it that he told his two co-writers, you guys, when we're finished with this song, you can go on Zillow and pick out the house you want to buy because we just wrote a number one hit. And they all, they laughed. And he's like, no, I'm really serious. And they kind of laughed again, not believing him. Well, he never, he didn't get that record deal. He had to release the song on his own. And it still wasn't getting much radio airplay at all, much traction. So he's like, I need a video, but you know, I don't have like a video production guy because I don't have a label. I don't have this, I don't have that. His wife just said, I have an iPhone. And his wife was pretty good with video. So they literally went out on this back road. Like this is the typical country music video. She is shooting uh, a video of him walking and singing the song to himself. Um, they made it black and white because there's so much glare from the uh, the hatchback glass that was on her camera and the sun was facing the wrong direction. They had to make it black and white. Anyway, it starts pouring rain. There's lightning in the sky. Like It was almost like the stars aligned for them to do this. So they, um, they had one of his buddies driving the car. They're going real slow. She's sitting in the back with the hatchback open, record this video, and it cost them $6 in gas to kind of refill his buddies like half a tank of gas and that video because of the lightning and like you couldn't have scripted it if you had a huge budget uh just went viral it got him a record deal which got him radio airplay which got him a number one song which got everybody who helped write that song a new house wow so he had the courage and his convictions and he saw something before it was real before it was ever tangible but that like, kind of mental block of like what we don't have for a label, for a video. And all it was was his wife is like, I have an iPhone. Let's just go, let's just go create something on our own. So like, and my point being like, you, what you lack in resources, financial resources, you make up for as a coach, as a recruiter with intellectual resources. Mm-hmm. And you talk about this a lot, coaches, like when I get this new facility, then we'll when I get this new facility, then I can, and like, fill, you know, fill in the blank any way you want as you're listening to this. But more often than not, Dan, what happens when they get that new facility? Uh, re- recruiting doesn't change. Yeah, <laughs> not much changes. Don't really change. So they're worried about having these financial resources when really all they needed were intellectual resources, which are free. Or and, it costs you $6 for a little bit of gas. Right. And, and, and that's the other thing is I think that you're, if you're a coach, you're recruiting a generation of, of student athlete 
who is used to getting information and doing most of their viewing of videos filmed vertically on a phone by their friends that are shaky, they're not great production value, and yet that has incredible authenticity to them. Yep. And I think coaches tend to think, well, we're a college, we have to overproduce it, we have to have the budget, or I have to get this person, that other person there on campus involved. No, you really, to your point, you can just go out and with your iPhone, walk around campus, do a campus tour. Um, and I think coaches are a little more adapt to that now uh, just because they've had to be. Uh, the, the pandemic and, and campuses yeah. closing have sort of forced them to be creative and adopt new technologies and new new ways of doing things. But and I, I wasn't even necessarily talking about technology, Dan. I was just simply talking about like, you know, I think this, and this is something that's absolutely changed my business for the better. And I think if I were coaching, um, it would have changed, dramatically changed my program for the better. It's just keeping a notebook. Like uh, I, I just carry around a little notebook in my back pocket. It's my idea journal. And it, it, I just jot down 10 ideas every day, no matter how ridiculous they might be, no matter how like, quote, undoable they may seem. And, you know, I'm not acting on all 10 of those ideas, but at the end of the month, I'm going to look back at all of those and say, okay, which are the most viable ones that could help move the needle now? Right. And I think if you're a coach, like you could keep an idea journal and then look at oh, what are the most viable ideas, you know, have each of your staff members do the same thing that'll help us move the needle on recruiting or help us move the needle on getting kids to campus, whatever it right. might be. Right. And, and to your point, you're right. It's not about technology. And I did associate it with that. But even just like on the idea front, the athletes in within your program, if you're a coach, have more good ideas than you do, coach, when yeah. it comes to connecting. Well, and, they know what they like and they know what their peers like exactly. way better than we do. Yeah, no, ex exactly. And so, you know, do you have the courage to just say, yeah, why don't you guys go out and go to the stadium and take an iPhone or your, you know, whatever cell phone you're using and shoot it and edit it. And let's, let's get it out to recruits. I mean, something like that, giving coaches, you know, the idea that they have permission just to be creative and it doesn't have to be something that has slow pans and dissolves and, you know, graphics and, yep. you know, drone shots of the, you know, flying over campus. It can be something simple. It can be those simple ideas that are usually uh, often the most effective. You know, what I like about what you just said, the most, what I like the most about it, your iPhone or whatever device you use. Yeah. You were so intentional about not alienating the Android users in your audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, because, you know, look, I, I have an iPhone. I like it, but not everybody does. And and the point is, yeah, that's that goes to it, too. You don't, there's not a specific type of piece of equipment that you need. Um, there's, you know, we, we all have these tools laying around. Just give yourself the freedom and the permission to use them and use them creatively. And if, look, you put something together and it's not what you want or it doesn't work, oh, well. I mean, I think coaches are often too afraid of failure, too. They try something and it doesn't work, and so I'm never going to do that again. Well, no, just do it differently next time. And to your point, to build off of that, I think often coaches are waiting for permission. I'll wait until I hear back from the uh, media technology department. I'll wait until I hear back from the folks, you know, uh, the AV folks, and see if we can do this. Right. It's easier to get forgiveness than it is to get permission, number one. Number two, like, just go ahead and do it yourself. 
yeah. and maybe you know what you think is policy or rule. Maybe you just think that's a rule, and it's actually not. There's no, there's nothing carved in stone or in writing that says you can't do this thing, whatever it is. And there's, you know, I think that's one thing you get from the book. There's a story, um, you know, uh, uh, pretty far into it that talks about a, a kid who opened a music shop. Well, what he really did is he was opening a concert venue. There was a town ordinance against having any kind of concert venue in town. I mean, this is like mm-hmm. in West Texas. Like, I mean, it reminded me of like Footloose. If you're old mm-hmm. enough to remember Footloose as you listen yeah. to this, no dancing in town. So you couldn't open a concert venue. However, you know, at this time, um, back in the eighties and early nineties, there were these things called record stores that sold cassettes and vinyl albums. If you're listening to this, you don't know what they are. Ask your parents. Um, but what could happen at a record store was uh, a band could show up to sign the albums sign the merch that was for sale and perform a set while they were there. So they said, Oh, we can't open a rec. We can't open a concert venue. Like we want to, we'll just open a record store and we'll have a lot of bands come through and do concerts. It was perfectly legal and it became a very viable business. So there's what you think is the rule and, but there's almost always a way around it. If you're willing to be creative and resourceful. And that's really, I mean, as we wrap up, the thing that you're stressing is the way to get to that next level is not to wait for the next budget, not to wait for the next, you know, position at the bigger college with the bigger, you know, staff or whatever. It's, you, there are ways that coaches can make the most of where they're at right now. Um, and, and and that, that as I'm talking to you, is really the emphasis that, that you put in, in this new book. Absolutely. And there's lots of ways to be a recruiter. There's lots of ways to be a college coach. Your differentiators, there's only one way to be yourself. And when you're 100% authentically yourself, like the, it's going to resonate with the right kids. It's going to resonate with the right staff members or potential staff members who want to get on board with what you're doing. And that is how the conversation ended with Coach John Brubaker, author of Beyond Stadium Status. If you want the book, because there's so much other good stuff in here, go to the website, beyondstadiumstatus.com. That's beyondstadiumstatus.com. Pick it up. Well worth adding to your coaching library. Uh, Just, again, some great examples of how people have taken their name, their business, their endeavor, and made it extraordinary by doing some very simple but smart things with the way they approach building their own dynasty. And I want you to do the same thing, Coach. That's what we're all about here at Tudor Collegiate Strategies is helping you build a great program, build a fantastic, long-lasting legacy for yourself, your family, and your school. Uh, If we can help at all, go to dantutor.com and let us know. There's all sorts of free resources there, uh, lots of books, lots of blog articles over the last two decades that you can use to become better. We want you to do that, Coach. So we're here to serve you. We are so glad that you're listening to the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Make sure you tell other people in your department to subscribe and listen, and uh, they can go back through and listen to all 100-plus episodes of what we have done over the last several years for coaches to become better recruiters, better builders of programs, and better people. So that's going to wrap up today's episode. We thank you for listening, Coach. We'll talk to you again soon on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.
The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2016 through 2020. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or stream us on Stitcher, and make sure to tell the coaches in your department about the show. Email the host at dan at dantutor.com and visit the website to access more of the free resources we give to the college coaching community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.